Get it in here. I got one thing to say. This is when the big dogs come out. Damn right. Okay? Damn right. So you can't run with the big dogs. Stay on the board. It's time. Live. Let's rock this place. Let's have some fun. In the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. We are seeing a special performance tonight. Diagnosis, prognosis, osmosis. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. The doctor is now in. Glad to have you with us on this Thursday edition of the T.C. Martin Show. Glad to have you with us. Plenty of NFL news to talk about. We'll uh, dive into that today. And yes, we are days away from the AFC and NFC Championship game finally winding down here. How much are we going to miss football? Look at Nubchuck. Nubchuck is sitting there dancing. And I'll tell you why I'm cracking up at this. Because this is my jam. Now, do you know whose theme song this was in the NWC? It was not yours, my friend, because you weren't around. This was Sabu's theme song. That's right. And, and you look at But when you hear this part coming right here, this is why it was Sabu's theme song. Right here. Coming at you. Right there. The mystery. Pointing up to the sky. That sort of thing. Right? And, of course, he never had a theme song like this before. And Sabu was a, was a big-time rocker. And you know what he used to say to me all the time? He goes, yeah. He goes, I really don't like that. My disco theme song. <laughs> I go, disco? I go, that's not disco, but typical. A guy from Michigan who's a hard rocker. And again, nah, we had the jams going back in the day. And, I, you know, when I would assign theme music for, you know, for each wrestler, it, this one just made sense because it got the crowd pumped up. And look at that, yourself. This is a perfect example. This is why I digress here. But since we did have the NWC reunion show yesterday, and again, thanks to Rob Van Dam, Johnny Cycle Payne, and, 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 and Sabu, um, you know, w- was scheduled to join us yesterday, but you know, again, going through a lot of personal stuff. So, but he was listening, and he really appreciates all the love that, that we were talking about him yesterday. And uh, Rob brings this up as well, too. I think Rob even said it on the show in the past that he goes, yeah, Sabu just didn't like his music. <laughs> but you're a rocker. He's a rocker. But you were jamming. You were just jamming to this song that you had no idea what it was. Ali Nafish, by the way, The Soul. That's what it's called. Hashim, The Soul. And it was a big club hit going back mid-80s. And uh, I used to to rock that song all the time. There you go. Yeah. And so when I was, you know, because I would take the theme songs for these wrestlers very, very seriously. Because I said, okay, it's got to be something that really fits, either gets the crowd pumped up, especially for the baby faces, right? Or for the heels, it's got to be something they're going to go, oh, man, you know, start booing him and all that stuff. But with this, making Sabu the face and the champion of the NWC, it was like, yeah, people were just like nodding their head. They're rocking, they're jamming. He's racing into the ring, sliding underneath the rope, as you well know. And then... At the end of the match, announce him winning. This plays. Yeah, it's it's classic. It's a classic jam. And for those old school R&B funksters, not Terry Funkers, funksters, but uh, they know what I'm talking about. Because this, this was the jam back in the old school R&B days of, uh, of the 80s. 
Hashim, the soul. So anyway, yeah, but Sabu would he took offense. He really wanted me to try to get him to to change his theme song. He goes, no man, this is all you. All good. He goes, yeah, don't like that disco music, that disco theme song. It's like, what are you talking about? JYD, of course, you know, another one bites the dust. I mean, you know, that goes back to WWE. And I gave Virgil, who whoop, there it is. And talk about, you know, on a Saturday night, the Silver Nugget, baby. You play that bad boy, Virgil come marching down the aisle. It was something special. Yeah. So we were talking a lot about the thug yesterday, too, right? And uh, so for the thug, I gave him the um, Bone Thugs in Harmony song, if you remember that one. Yeah. Yeah. Thugger Records Ball. There you go. There you go. See, Numchuck's just having a field day right now. I mean, he loves it. We talk wrestling now, music now. You're going to. Yeah. See, look, you're, you're in the mix. You're getting it. You know what I'm talking about. There it is. This is a thug. He was a bad heel. And again, they hated him. Yeah. Bring in like that. Ah, oh, boo! There it is. People, people spitting at the guy. Until he put on that. That white sheet, though. That white hood with Jimmy Anvil Nightmare. There you go. See? You wanted to be around for those NWC days, Numchuck, and you get a chance to, to live it, you know, 20, 25 years later uh, with all the guys. So there you go, man. Good stuff. All right. Oh, we are talking sports today? We're talking football? Oh. <laughs> ben Roethlisberger retires today. It's official. 18 seasons. Two Super Bowl championships, six-time Pro Bowler. Uh, some amazing stats for Ben Roethlisberger coming out of the Miami of Ohio. I know a lot of people thought, okay, this guy's coming out of the MAC, Miami of Ohio. How good can this guy be? I remember watching him at Miami of Ohio, setting all kinds of records, pass happy first offense. It was one of those first programs going back in the Mid American Conference where they just unleashed it because a lot of those. Programs would run the ball first. Uh, Toledo opened up a little bit, but you know Akron still to this day they're ground and pound. Uh, Ohio U, Frank Solich and company, ground and pound. But Miami of Ohio they opened it up. Bowling Green they started opening it up a little bit. Um, but yeah, we saw that. Yeah, with uh, you know some some big big time quarterbacks that came out of the MAC. Bruce Gradkowski, you remember him, right? Had a stint with the Raiders for a while. Came out of Toledo. But, yeah, Miami of Ohio. Ben Roethlisberger. Big guy, too. And uh, even though he had a big body, he wasn't really considered much of a, a a runner at all. But he was a passer. And he came to the Pittsburgh Steelers, which was a ground-and-pound team. And, you know, when you think about NFL tradition, you think about the Steelers. You know, we always talk about the Steelers have had, what, three head coaches their entire time. Chuck Knoll, Bill Cowher. And now Mike Tomlin, think about that. You have a quarterback like Ben Roethlisberger. You go back to Terry Bradshaw. You know, they really, you never think of the Pittsburgh Steelers being like the Chicago Bears for the rotating quarterback position. Now, you think of longevity in coaching. You think of longevity, you know, the defensive side of the ball. Troy Palomalo, remember him? Long run there on the defensive side for uh, the Steelers. Ben Roethlisberger, 18 seasons but the only player with four 500 yard passing games now that's a stat 
And you would think that guys like Dan Fouts, good friend who's who's on the program pretty regularly with us, that you know he he might be one of those guys because he had some great days of four hundred plus yards passing. Yeah, but Ben Roethlisberger, the only player to have four five hundred yard passing games, and uh, that's impressive. And probably the other thing that's really impressive is that Ben Roethlisberger never had a losing record as a professional. Think about that. I'm sure he didn't at Miami of Ohio either. But never having a losing record. They came close this year. But, man, no, Ben Roethlisberger uh, retires. Surefire Hall of Famer, 18 years. I know some fans thought, well, he should have retired a couple seasons ago. But uh, he still had his moments this year. So uh, we knew it was coming. We knew it was it. But, you know, like a lot of these guys, and we talked about it yesterday with Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, where Gronk was saying, you know, hey, you know, as of right now, season's just fresh underneath me. I'd say no, but, hey, three weeks I could change my mind. Ben Roethlisberger did not make an immediate decision. But i got to believe that the, his decision, he has known for, for a while. And that's why Pittsburgh treated it as, hey, this is going to be your last home game. This will probably be your last, uh, you know, game period. And uh, we knew it was coming. So good today that, that Ben Roethlisberger made sure, took at least a week off or so, week and a half off, and then, and then made the decision day uh, announcing his retirement. With the 11th pick in the 2004 NFL Draft, the Pittsburgh Steelers select Ben Roethlisberger, quarterback, University of Miami. I don't know how to put into words what the game of football has meant to me and what a blessing it has been. While I know with confidence I have given my all to the game, I am overwhelmed with gratitude for all it has given me. A boy from Finley, Ohio with NFL dreams, developed in Oxford at Miami University, blessed with the honor of 18 seasons as a Pittsburgh Steeler and a place to call home. The journey has been exhilarating, defined by relationships and fueled by a spirit of competition. Yet the time has come to clean up my locker, hang up my cleats, and continue to be all I can be to my wife and children. I retire from football, a truly grateful man. First and foremost, I need to thank the Lord for all the many blessings he has bestowed on me. To my wife, Ashley, our children, Benjamin, Bailey, and Bodie, you lift and inspire me and give my life purpose. I am so thankful for your love and support. I love you so much. To my parents and sister, every step of the way, your support and love has driven me to be the best and never give up. To the Rooney family, the Tall family, Coach Tomlin, Coach Cower, and all of the coaches who have poured into me, the incredible people on every level that make the Pittsburgh Steelers a special organization. Thank you for believing in me and allowing me to battle with you in pursuit of excellence. To all of my teammates and the endless friendships that I have gained, I appreciate you and our shared commitment to wearing the black and gold with pride and dignity. Putting that jersey on every Sunday with my brothers will always be one of the greatest joys of my life. To Steeler Nation, the best fans in all of sport, thank you for accepting and supporting me as your quarterback over the years. Football has been a gift, and I thank God for allowing me to play it, surrounding me with great people and protecting me through to the end. With love and honor. Ben Roethlisberger uh, did it the right way. He played the game the right way. He played hard, a good teammate, and uh, announces his retirement in a very classy way as well, too. 
giving thanks to the Rooney family. Of course, uh, Mike Tomlin, the Steeler fans. And again, 18 years as a quarterback in the National Football League. Unheard of in these days and times, especially when the money's out there and you can retire and be very, very wealthy after your first contract, your second contract, to play 18 seasons and to come out of it with all your faculties. You hear Ben Roethlisberger. You know, he, he, he's, he's got it together, and that was cool. Um, you know, he's a family guy. He's a God-fearing man. We understand that. And uh, he played the game the right way. So Steeler Nation is going to miss a good one. But, you know, it was his time. And we know that Ben Roethlisberger was, did not have great seasons the past few seasons. But, you know what? He was, he was the best Pittsburgh Steelers had. He was better than Mason Rudolph or anybody else. But now it's time for the Steelers to go ahead and get themselves a quarterback uh, for the long term. Will it be Mason Rudolph? Will it be somebody out of this year's draft? Will it be somebody out of free agency? Will they try a stopgap routine? We'll have to wait and see. So Steeler Nation, you lost a good one, but you know one that you could be very, very proud of. And uh, I understand Ben Roethlisberger had... A couple moments, you know, with some off the field issues, uh, but for the most part, this was a guy that played the game the right way. You rarely heard him in in any type of trouble, you know. Again, the one incident about whatever that was seven, eight year, years ago, but for the most part, you know, he was he was a, he was a clean guy, clean guy, and ha- had a fantastic season, uh, a career, I should say, two Super Bowl wins, six time Pro Bowler, and again, uh, just played eighteen years with the Pittsburgh Steelers, so. Today he announces his official retirement, did it the right way, in, in a nice video tribute that he put out today, uh, sit on his couch uh, with his family. All right, uh, let's get you caught up to date on other NFL news here. <laughs> the Minnesota Vikings hire, now probably butcher this name here, Koesi Adafo Mensa. He is their new general manager. So you say, who is this guy? Well, I'll tell you who he is. <laughs> he is an analytics ace. Yes. When the Vikings made their announcement today, that was the headlines. Vikings hire analytics ace from Cleveland. Wow. Has a game of football changed? We are now hiring a general manager that is 40 years old, and what's his claim to fame? He's an analytics ace. What does that even mean? Seriously, in the game of football, it drives me nuts with baseball. Oh, is it Terrible Tuesday, by the way? I kind of feel that way. You know how it drives me nuts in baseball where you've got these guys, and I've seen firsthand this these analytics departments and these guys who have offices right outside of the clubhouse here, and all they do is they're on the computer, and they're typing, then they're typing, and they're typing, and they're printing out spreadsheets, and they're designing spreadsheets, and they're doing all these things. Most of these guys are in their 20s or their early 30s, have no clue about baseball, no clue about sports in general. (laughs) Analytics ace now in football. Oh, yeah, it's trending. When's basketball going to come in with analytics? Huh? I'm sure they already use it to a certain degree. But yes, the Minnesota Vikings are putting their future in an analytics ace who's 40 years old, spent two years with the Cleveland Browns as their vice president of football operations. 
He entered in the NFL in 2013 with the San Francisco 49ers as a research and development specialist. You know what that is? That's like an intern. That's like you, Numchuck, when you first started. <laughs> and then you worked your way up. Well, hell, look at you. You're the program director now. I mean, so I, I guess. Are you even 40 yet, Numchuck? No. You just look 55. Anyway. <laughs> yes. Well, this guy definitely will not be confused with you, Numchuck. You know why? You know he's got degrees from Princeton and Stanford. Yes. Numbchuck, I don't even know what your degree's from. Uh, Cracker Jack box, I think. I don't know. Do you have a college background, by the way? That's okay. You know, you don't need it these days. Don't worry about it. Uh, Vice President of Football Operations with the Cleveland Browns, 40 years old, a degree from Princeton, and also a degree from Stanford. Oh, and by the way, this will qualify you. This looks good on NFL resume. Worked on Wall Street. I don't think the movie, but no. Worked on Wall Street. I don't know. I mean, this guy could turn out to be a fantastic general manager, but really, is this the talent pool that we're looking at now? Not former players, not former coaches, but analytics aces. That's right. Put that in parentheses. Analytics aces. All right. So that's what the Vikings did. We stay in the division. The Chicago Bears hired Ryan Poles today. You say, who's this guy? Well, he's he's in the same age category as Mensah. 36 years old. Former player, though. And he is now the general manager of the Chicago Bears. Went as a uh, undrafted Offensive lineman did not make the team with the Bears. Spent 13 seasons in Kansas City's front office. Last year, director of player personnel. And there he is. Uh, Ryan Poles is now the new general manager of the Chicago Bears. So Vikings and Bears making GM hires today. Um, Raiders GM search continues to go deep dive here. More interviews are taking place. We know Mark Davis has been very thorough with this, which I think all Raider fans got to be very impressed with and be happy about. So interviews have taken place. Here's who the Raiders have interviewed thus far. Dave Ziegler, the New England Patriots director of player personnel. Ed Dodds, from the Indianapolis Colts, he's the assistant general manager. Remember, he's got Raider ties. He was a Raiders scout back in 2003. Anthony Champ Kelly, the assistant director of player personnel with the Bears. Now, we mentioned last week that Anthony Kelly took his name out of the running with the Bears. Interesting. Took his name out of the running with the Bears, and here the Bears go with the guy who was on that staff with Kelly, a younger guy, 36 years old, in Ryan Poles, but interesting that Kelly didn't want to go back to Chicago. I think that he felt like, hey, I have a have a shot here with the Raiders. All right. He's been in the league as a scout since 2007 with Denver and Chicago. And again, both of those uh, franchises uh, have openings, uh, you know, the head coaching uh, uh, level as well, too. Trey Brown, uh, I happen to know Trey Brown's brother, Theotis Brown, who used to uh, – 
be the running back for UCLA back in the day. Also played in the NFL for uh, a number of years. So Trey is a, the younger brother of uh, Theotis. Was with Cincinnati Bengals as a, as a scout. No real experience He was in the NFL, but he was a vice president of the Birmingham Iron of the AAF back in 2019 before that league folded. Uh, also, the Raiders have interviewed former Tennessee Titans general manager uh, Rushton Webster, who is currently a scout with the Atlanta Falcons. Also, Brandon Hunt from the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, has been interviewed. He is a scouting coordinator with the Steelers. And uh, Mark Davis also interviewed current Raiders director of pro scouting, Dwayne Joseph. So Mark Davis making sure that he checks all the boxes here, not only just the Rooney rule, but looking at his own personnel. And that's a nice move, too. Even if he doesn't hire him, and he's done this with Rich Passaccia, as we know, the interim head coach for the Raiders. But for the general manager position, Raiders director of pro scouting, Dwayne Joseph, obviously must have made an impression with Mark Davis for him to uh, give him at least an interview here. But Mark Davis has interviewed, what, eight guys so far for the GM. He's probably going to interview as many as nine or ten. And uh, he may do as many of those from the coaching standpoint as well, too. But taking this GM search very, very seriously and doing it uh, very thoroughly as well, too, which is which is good. Also, another guy who is being interviewed for the general manager position actually came out today, Joe uh, Spytek from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So uh, Spytek has, is now a candidate as well, too. Uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers personnel speak very highly of Joe Spytek. So there it is. That's your latest with the Raiders on the GM front. From the coaching side, uh, Josh McDaniels is uh, on the watch list now, and uh, he will be interviewing with the Raiders. So we've seen Josh McDaniels as a head coach before with the Broncos. That did not work out. It's kind of funny that here we go with another AFC West team, and Mark Davis is going to give him an interview. Uh, McDaniels has had other opportunities each and every year. His name comes up, but I think he learned his lesson after that time in Denver where he said, hey, that was just a bad situation for him. He came back underneath Bill Belichick, said, I'll take the steady paycheck. I'll take the steady playoff run. Oh, by the way, I'll take the steady path to getting a Super Bowl ring, which he's done a few times. So, yes, the Raiders and Mark Davis looking very, very serious at the New England Patriots organization. We mentioned the GM search with Dave Ziegler. Uh, Also, Gerard Mayo interviewed yesterday. He was here in town. Mayo, former Patriot, and, of course, he's a linebacking coach for the Patriots. So, he is a head coaching candidate uh, with a couple different teams, but he interviewed here yesterday. Tampa Bay uh, defensive coordinator Todd Bowles is interviewing today. So he's in town interviewing today. So yes, Todd Bowles has had a run as a head coach before too. Again, like Josh McDaniel, did not work out well. So Todd Bowles getting at least another interview uh, from an NFL team. This happens to be the Raiders and Mark Davis. So Mayo yesterday, Todd Bowles today. We know that Rich Passaccia was interviewed last Wednesday with uh, the Raiders. Uh, again, Mark Davis 
wanted to give him his due and give him the opportunity to interview, and he did that. Uh, another candidate who is expected to be interviewed for the head coaching job is San Francisco 49ers defensive coordinator, D'Amico Ryans. So a lot of young coaches here, a lot of position coaches uh, being interviewed here. All right? Now, are all of these courtesy interviews to get to the big guy, Jim Harbaugh? Jim Harbaugh has not been interviewed yet by Mark Davis and the Raiders. Not yet. We know that Harbaugh was waiting for a contract to be put in front of him at the University of Michigan. We understand that that contract pretty much is done now, and it's on Harbaugh's desk. But he is going to wait to see about these other NFL openings, and I know that uh, he has interest to return to the NFL. But the big question is, will it work out with him and the Raiders? Now, I think if you're Jim Harbaugh, this is just purely speculation here, I believe that Jim Harbaugh is waiting to see what the Raiders do from a GM standpoint. And can Jim Harbaugh work with the GM? Now, we know that Harbaugh had some issues when he was in San Francisco. I've said this numerous times in the last week and a half or so that I believe I think Harbaugh's matured a little bit where he's not going to come in here and want GM duties. He just would like a seat at the table when it's, as any head coach should, when it comes time for drafts, especially free agency, that sort of thing. Now, you want Jim Harbaugh's input, obviously, with the, with the draft because he's been in college football for the better part of the last decade at the University of Michigan at a very high level in the Big Ten Conference there. So Jim Harbaugh, I believe, would would be willing to just be the head coach as long as he had a little bit of input and his voice is heard. I don't think he wants control. Okay, That's what I believe, and people close to that situation tell me, so I will, I will take their, uh, them at their word for that. But uh, Harbaugh, he's the leading candidate. There's no question about it. These other guys do not co- compare to Jim Harbaugh at all. Gerard Mayo, Todd Bowles, Rich Basacci, even though Basacci has been in the league for a long, long time as a special teams coordinator and did a fantastic job with the Raiders last year. But still, if you have an opportunity to get Jim Harbaugh, you go ahead and you do that. And when you look at the Raiders' perspective here, you know, this team is not one that's rebuilding. I mean, they're fresh off a playoff uh, appearance, fifth seed in the AFC. Uh, they got a pretty good roster with plenty of options. You got your quarterback there if you want to keep him in Derek Carr, now the longest tenured AFC quarterback. Um, but the cons over there, maybe no GM in place yet, so you want to see who you can work with. And I, and I believe that Harbaugh may have a good working relationship, and this is the scenario I threw out there you know, last week, is Ed Dodds, the Indianapolis Colts GM. Him and Harbaugh were on the same staff together, both underneath Al Davis back in 2003, a long time ago, but they were there for a year or so together. So we'll see how this thing uh, plays out. But still, you've got uh, a couple, you got more openings out there in the NFL. Uh, another hire, two other hires today. The Bears hired Matt Eberflus, the Indianapolis Colts defensive coordinator. He has been hired by the Bears today, as has Nathaniel Hackett. For the Denver Broncos. So the Broncos, they have a coach. The Bears have a coach. Again, they hired two guys once again with no head coaching experience. Hasn't worked out real well for either franchise that way. 
Here we go again, going with the hot coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett, fresh off the Green Bay Packers offensive coordinator position, also held the same uh, tag with the Jacksonville Jaguars 2016 to 2018, the Buffalo Bills 2013-2014. And also he is the son of Paul Hackett, which many people remember Paul Hackett, uh, you know, at the college level and the NFL level as well, too. So um, in the genes there, possibly pretty good offensive coordinator, but how does that translate into being a head coach? So, yes, Bears, Denver, take them off the list. Jacksonville rumored to hire Byron Leftwich, not official quite yet. Leftwich with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, their offensive coordinators. So I believe that takes us to what, you know, still we've got five or six openings, including the Raiders for the head coaching position. So we'll continue to monitor all that. All right, today on the show, B.J. Armstrong is going to join us. We're going to talk to B.J., talk a little NBA with him, a little college hoops as well, too. Speaking of college hoops, Tim Brando is going to join us. Timmy B., love talking to him. He's getting ready for March Madness, so we'll talk some college hoops with him. And Tim Neverett, uh, longtime colleague, longtime friend, and uh, Tim Neverett, uh, the television and radio voice, uh, spends time on both sides with the Los Angeles Dodgers, formerly with the Pirates and the Red Sox, and Tim, a longtime Las Vegas um, uh, native as well, too. So we'll talk to him on the show today. So looking forward to that. We'll hit the broadcasters today and a whole lot more coming your way. It is the T.C. Martin Show. Timmy B. up next. Hi, this is Bill Beer, and you're listening to the T.C. Martin Show. All right, don't forget, at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas, tomorrow, our Friday home. Always a great time at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Yes, we got the best bet segment tomorrow. Jay Schrader will be joining us, the former quarterback, the former Raiders quarterback, and, of course, Super Bowl champion with the Washington Redskins back in the day. So, uh, look forward to talking uh, with Jay like we uh, do just about each and every week. And then uh, Marco D'Angelo will join us as well, too, from uh, Wager Talk. Trevor Maddich will be on board, of course. Uh, we'll be breaking it all down with Trevor tomorrow as well, too, as we look forward to the AFC and NFC championship games coming up this weekend. So our best bet coming up this week, it's one. That's it. One best bet, just like last week. And uh, some of us hit our best bet last week. Yes, the Los Angeles Rams getting there over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, that was mine. So we'll see how that uh, how that plays out uh, this week as well, too. So looking forward to both of these games coming up on Sunday. So, yes, come on by the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas, whether it is for the food options. And the food options, of course, as we know, are fantastic. Up at the Block 16, up at the Grab and Go, go up there. Of course, Blue Ribbon up on the third floor, STK, all there for you at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. And uh, the Chelsea, great entertainment options at the Chelsea, as we well know. Opium, a show that uh, has uh, is back in play now as well, too. So love that show, love all of the options. And yes, Super Frico. If you have not tried Super Frico yet, that is is a great Italian restaurant as well, too. Great entertainment there. But uh, that is the newest of the restaurants at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. So go on by, check that out this weekend. And, of course, everything in the sports book, as we know, powered by our good friends over at William Hill on display for you, whether it's the NBA, college basketball, and, of course, a very exciting 
you know, NFL weekend happening this weekend. Looking forward to that with the AFC and NFC Championship games. Come on, I see the show live 2 to 4 p.m. each and every Friday at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. All right, uh, Tim Brando scheduled to join us uh, this segment, and we know that uh, Tim is is getting ready to call a college basketball uh, game this weekend. So uh, we are we are waiting on on Timmy B here. So hopefully he will uh, he will be joining us uh, right now. Okay, so uh, let's get back to the Raiders situation here. All right, we mentioned the candidates and the GM search underway, the head coach uh, search underway. Uh, Jim Harbaugh not been interviewed as of yet, and yeah, I I feel pretty pretty strong about Harbaugh being the guy uh, for the Raiders here. And I, again, I think that if you have an opportunity to get him, he is a guy that not only has tons of head coaching experience, unlike so many of these of these other candidates that Mark Davis is interviewing. You know, nothing against those guys, but Jim Harbaugh has done it at the highest level. He did it in the NFL, and during his time with the San Francisco 49ers in 2011 to 2014, uh, did a fantastic job. In much to maybe the dismay of, of a lot of people, didn't think that maybe Harbaugh would transition into the, uh, a successful NFL head coach, but he did. Uh, didn't work out there uh, for him, even though his teams were successful. Uh, it's not like this guy lost uh, lost his job because of the performance on the field. Uh, there were some uh, some off the field situations there. New general manager, new front office coming in, and uh, Jim Harbaugh. Uh, went to University of Michigan where he put a you know a solid resume together and then this past year beating Ohio State winning the Big Ten championship and then of course going to the college football playoff all check marks that never ever happened before with uh, at the University of Michigan and Jim Harbaugh did that now because of that Jim Harbaugh is going to get a big nice contract uh extension offer and I say the the, the term offer is because he has not accepted it as of right now because he is testing the waters of the NFL like I've said before for Jim Harbaugh this is a situation where you are in the perfect negotiating position right now because you're coming off arguably the best season that you've ever had uh as a coach, and especially at the University of Michigan, you're coming off that situation, and now you're the hot commodity. You're the hot candidate. And let's remember where Jim Harbaugh was going back eight, ten months ago. This is a guy who was on the hot seat. He had lost to Ohio State each and every year. Could not beat his arch rival, the arch nemesis there, Big Blue losing to the Buckeyes and losing badly, not even being competitive in many of those games. But this was going to be the make-or-break year for Jim Harbaugh, and it's not like he had a great quarterback. He had a very stout defense. He had a very good running game, but offensively they're a little bit challenged, but they put together a magnificent season, and they beat Ohio State, and they crushed Ohio State, and then they got to the, you know, Big Ten championship game, they won that in convincing fashion and blasting Iowa, and therefore they got the college football playoff. So if Jim Harbaugh is thinking about staying at Michigan, 
this is what's going through his mind, in my opinion, is that he knows deep down inside he pulled off a miraculous season. All right, and I know he has the confidence, you know, in his own abilities, but you know he's lost assistant coaches. Of course, being a high-profile place like Michigan, you're going to do that. You're losing players early to the NFL draft, and you still got a huge question mark at the quarterback position. Everything went perfect for Harbaugh at Michigan, but Ohio State's not going anywhere. Ohio State will continue to do their thing and recruit the top-notch athletes, and they're going to be back. And Ohio State probably has more talent than Michigan. And so for Jim Harbaugh to think that, hey, this is going to be a run, or the University of Michigan thinking this is going to be a elongated run where Michigan could be you know, the Big Ten champion for many, many years and sign Har- Harbaugh to maybe even a lifetime contract here, uh, that would be a, a little foolish. I think Harbaugh knows deep down inside you got to watch out for Ohio State. you still got to watch out for Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota, Purdue, Iowa. Those teams will always be knocking on the door and could put together a miraculous season themselves. But great position for Harbaugh to be in to sit there and negotiate this deal with the University of Michigan and also be a hot candidate on the NFL side like he is right now with the Raiders and which many people thought maybe he'd go to the Bears. Now you got to remember, Harbaugh really wasn't that interested in the Bears even though he's got the ties, he's a former quarterback there, but he had a brief conversation with the McCaskey family, a phone conversation going back about a week and a half, two weeks ago, and nothing really came of that. And I think he told the McCaskies, he said, hey, I, I still have a job here at Michigan. Let me see what they're going to offer, and he's going to test the waters. I don't know how open and honest he was with the McCaskey family or not, but obviously he has, you know, th- that there's a deep friendship there. But uh, it's clear, I believe, that Harbaugh wants to be in the NFL and Harbaugh wants to be with the Raiders. And it makes sense because he has a chance to take over a pretty good roster right now. And like I said before, this Raider team is fresh off the fifth seed in the AFC playoffs. They got a very good roster. There's plenty of options on this roster. Very few coaches move to a new team that having a very good quarterback in 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 all these other qualities. Uh again, when you're looking to coach here in Nevada or work in Nevada, there's no income tax in Nevada. That's a factor for all these athletes. It's a factor for free agents, as we know. It's a factor for coaches, general managers, anybody for that matter. So you can not overlook um, you know, that aspect. And here's another thing. You can't overlook whether a coach you know really looks at it or not, uh, is the fan base. I mean, the Raiders have a passionate worldwide fan base. This fan fan base cares. And you know that Mark Davis is probably gonna let you do your thing. Mark Davis has said time and time again, he is a guy that is not going to overstep his bounds. He's limited in his knowledge of football operations. He's going to hire the best person to do the job and let them do their job. So he's not going to micromanage. This isn't a Jerry Jones situation by any means at all. But no. Um, You know, so if you're a head coach, you're walking into a very good situation. And when you look at some of these... Other head coaching candidates who are being interviewed by Mark Davis, like Gerard Mayo, Todd Bowles, and even Rich Rich Passaccia, uh, and other guys, they would love to have this job. 
This isn't going to be where you're going to offer one of these guys the job and they're going to turn it down or they're going to take their name out of the running. These are all guys that would love to have this job. And again, it cannot be overlooked that this is a marquee job and especially coming off the Raiders' 10-win season. Okay, Yes, it's only 10 wins, but it's better than any place that this team has been in the past. And again, this is a team that did make it to the playoffs. So strong fan base. Uh, Raider Nation loves their team, so those are the pros. When you look at the cons of this of the job, probably the only con is that there's a long history of not winning here. But that's something that you could change as part of the culture here and getting guys, especially you know free agents, that are used to winning. And I know that that's... What Mike Mayock tried to do, he tried to tap into to those guys that had won in other places. Uh, he brought in, you know, you know, coaches from other places. We saw it with Gus Bradley, you know. Um, but probably the biggest con of this job is they don't have a GM right now. So as a head coach, you know, you're going to have to answer to that GM, and it's very important that that marriage works. That the head coach and the GM are on the same page. So with no GM currently in place. You know, would a coach want to commit to the Raiders until they know who their boss is going to be? I mean, eventually, that's going to be your boss if you're a head coach. You know, especially for a younger head coach. Who do you got to answer to? And again, all the names that we're throwing, that getting thrown out there that are interviewed right now, there's not many former general managers who are out there in this position. They're all assistant GMs or assistant director of player personnel. Uh, scouts, directors of scouting, and, and and some names are not even not even directors of scouting. You know they're they're they're, they're scouts. So yes, I understand Mark Davis is doing his due diligence here. He's looking at all kinds of candidates as he should. He's got a very trustworthy group around him that uh, that he believes will will guide him in the right direction. And uh, that's where it's at right now for the Raiders from a GM and a head coaching perspective. But, uh, yeah, the pressure definitely be on for the new coach taking over a 10-win team that was the fifth seed in the AFC for the playoffs. Um, you know, the, the pressure will definitely be on. All right. So other coaching vacancies still open. Minnesota, they still have a, a vacancy. The New York Giants have a vacancy. The Houston Texans also. And uh, it was kind of strange how they got rid of David Culley. They kind of kicked him to the curb rather quickly and immediately to, we thought, hire Brian Flores. Brian Flores was the hot name going back two and a half weeks ago, but Brian Flores still hasn't been hired. We know Brian Flores has gone through a couple interviews. We know that he isn't a Raiders candidate right now. At least his name, you know, he hasn't been interviewed. And we understood from people in Houston that the reason why they got rid of David Culley, even though Culley did a fantastic job with that t- team, very similar really to what Rich Passaccia did with the Raiders, you know, just thrown in that situation. I mean, think about that. The two worst jobs in the NFL going back to probably – the middle of October, the Raiders and the Texans. From the Raiders' perspective, the John Gruden scenario was just a nightmare. I mean, here 
John Gruden, highest paid coach, $10 million a season, uh, in a situation where you know he needs to win, and the email scandal happens, and then boom, this franchise turned upside down. And of course, we know what happened after that. You know, weeks later, the Henry Rugg situation, the Damon Arnett situation followed right after that. Two guys made horrible mistakes, both guys cut, and then now you have, you know, the situation with Nate Hobbs. And by the way, that the latest on Nate Hobbs as well, too, is that he has now talked his way into a lesser charge of speeding of 110 miles per hour. They found out that his blood alcohol level was not, uh, actually was below the legal limit of a, of a 0.7. So his attorneys got him off on that. Remember Nate Hobbs, at, you know, after the road trip when the Raiders beat the Colts, uh, went out partying at the Cromwell, Dre's nightclub, and then was uh, found asleep at the wheel in the parking garage there at the Cromwell. Of course, big story that we talked about, you know, going back a few weeks ago. Uh, but, uh, you know, Hobbs came back to play. Mark Davis said, okay, well, let's, let's get all the, gather the information, and they let him play, which is a bit, was a big question mark. But, you know, Hobbs, decent player, not a franchise player, uh, in trouble. And, again, how does that happen beyond me, especially after what happened with Henry Ruggs, you know, you know killing an innocent motorist, and then also the situation with Damon Arnett where he's wielding a machine gun on social media threatening to kill someone. So, uh, so Hobbs uh, pleads to a lesser charge. Um, the Las Vegas Justice of the Peace accepted uh, the plea deal, imposed a $685 fine, 20 hours of community service, uh, and ordered Hobbs to stay out of trouble. Really? I mean, come on. That's it. Talk about the ultimate slap on the wrist here. Why would you even want to have a guy like that on your roster? That's that's what gets me, especially knowing what was in front of him, the situations that were in front of him with Henry Ruggs III and Damon Arnett and Hobbs falls right into that. And again, same draft class, same everything, ridiculous. And this guy is still on the Raiders' roster at this point in time right now and gets a slap on the wrist and he gets an opportunity to talk his way down. And again, a speeding violation of going 110 miles per hour on the 215. Come on. Insane. All right. So anyway, going back uh, to that, uh, you're taking over a roster, whether you're, you're GM or a head coach, that is in pretty good shape. And again, you're playing at Allegiant Stadium as well, too. So uh, that's definitely a highlight for anybody who, who comes in here. But uh, yes, highly unusual that you have a GM and head coaching open at the same time, and neither one of these positions have been filled as of yet. So kudos to Mark Davis, taking his time. I don't think anybody's complaining and, and banging down the door and saying, you know what, make this hire, let's go, let's get on with it. There is no hurry right now. I mean, you've got the AFC and NFC Championship game happening this weekend. You've got yourself, you know, the Pro Bowl the week after, and then you got the Super Bowl. All right. You got to get ready for the draft. Got to get ready for the combine. All those things are down the road. Right now, most of the coaches are on vacation anyway. They're taking their taking their time off. This is the downtime. The Raiders should be in no hurry. And if they want someone of the four teams that's remaining, okay. 
then be patient until they're eliminated and see what happens. Eric Bieniemy is another guy. Offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs. He is a hot candidate as well, too. Bieniemy has had some frustration, though. He has interviewed for jobs, has not gotten jobs. Um, you know, there are rumors that he has not interviewed well, but his name is still out there. But interesting name thrown out there again today, and it was rumored, and now we know for sure that Mark Davis is scheduling an interview with Josh McDaniels from the New England Patriots. And Raider fans, I mean, how do you feel about that? I mean, here's a guy that, yes, he comes from the New England Patriots. He comes under Bill Belichick, had all kinds of success. You know the guy can design offenses. He can call plays. But then again, for the majority of his time, he had Tom Brady. (laughs) He had great wide receivers, had a great offense. Yes, Mac Jones this year as a rookie played well. Okay, Patriots got there, got to the postseason, but he was a head coach and failed miserably as a head coach of the Denver Broncos. Should that be held against him because he didn't last very long there? And again, when you go get a job like that, you got to vet it as your coach, as as a coach yourself, and you got to vet. Okay, hey, you know maybe it wasn't right with him and John Elway, or you know the Broncos, uh, you know front office staff. Who knows? But we know the Broncos have had a lot of problems, and they've had a revolving door uh, with personnel, with players, as well as head coaches there as well, too. So Josh McDaniel, do you want a retread? He is, he's one of those guys. Todd Bowles, a retread, didn't have uh, success as a coach of the Arizona Cardinals. I don't know. For me, I'm shying away from those guys. But I'm also shying away from guys like Gerard Mayo, too, who has no head coaching experience. You want to get yourself ahead. And and if you're going to just interview these guys for that, then you know what that tells me? Okay, you either want Jim Harbaugh or you're going to stick with Rich Passaccia. You can interview all these guys, do the contrast and compare as you should, get as much info as you possibly can. And you got to remember, Mark Davis and his team are also interviewing GM candidates and head coaching candidates to get their opinion and perspective of the Raiders as well, too. Like, what do you think of my team? What do you think of this team right now? So there's a lot of that going on, too. Don't don't be mistaken about that. That's a big part of this game as well, too, to have get another opinion from people on the outside looking in about your franchise. All right? So, yes, there, there's a lot of games going on with this. All right, we'll continue to monitor the Raiders situation, also the NFL head coaching situation as well, too. Next hour, we come back. We're going to talk to B.J. Armstrong. We talk a little NBA. Oh, yeah, the former Chicago Bull, the three-time champion. Tim Neverts also going to join us next hour as well, too, the voice of the Dodgers from the TV and the radio side as well as we talk a little Major League Baseball, touch on the lockout a little bit. That and a whole lot more coming your way on this Thursday edition of the T.C. Martin Show. In the entertainment capital of the world. A Smith screen. Hosey will defend. Oh! LeBron James with no record for human life. It's the T.C. Martin Show. Oh! Flight 9 is cleared for landing. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. The soul says, hey, pass a big ticket. T.C. Martin. Oh, here comes the Birdman. Sweet flush. When you're aerodynamically designed with that hairdo, you can do those kinds of things. 
a sweet mohawk. The doctor is now in. Uno, dos, tres. Ole! Ole! Glad to have you with us. Hour number two. Don't forget tomorrow, Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Come on out, see the show live. Jay Schrader will be joining us tomorrow. B Sal, Brian Salmon. He'll be checking in in person. Am I going to have to require him to wear a certain suit? I'll have to check on that. Marco D'Angelo as well, too, from uh, Wager Talk, our best bets. Trevor Match will be joining us via the phone tomorrow uh, for a segment, of course, our best bets, always in effect at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas each and every Friday. You know a guy who we have to get to the Cosmopolitan? I mean, I I know how much he likes to eat, just like I do. And he loves the sights and the sounds. Is our good friend, the three-time NBA champ, the sharpshooter, BJ Armstrong. What is going on, my man? What's going on? How you doing? How you doing? You know, I feel like we haven't spoken forever. So, uh, you know, Happy New Year and all that good stuff. But, hey. Great to be back. How you doing? Man, it's good to have you back, my friend. And I know that you're thinking like, okay, man, when, when, when do I get my call off the bench? When, when am I, when am I when are you going to put me in the game, coach? And I had to tell BJ, I said, you know, we've been so swamped with football here. I said, but now the page turns. We start getting to the basketball. And now your phone's going to be ringing quite a bit, my man. So I'm going to apologize in advance for, for having you on so often here coming up, all right? All right, sounds good. Sounds, it sounds good. We can go with that. We can go with it. What's going on? Uh, it's all it's all good, man. We got a, a bunch to hit on. But uh, what have you been up to? What's been going on? What has BG Armstrong been doing during this football season and this early NBA season? Well, you know, I'm a Lions fan, so, you know, I'm oh, recovering geez. as we do every year. <laughs> we recover. But it's always next season. So next season is our – That's next season, that's our season. And we're we're, we're – we're, we're getting to the playoffs. We're going to win the game. And uh, it, it's been tough as a Lions fan. So I'm just watching all my friends' teams advance. And I'm just uh, licking my wounds as I normally do every year this time of year. What kind of Lions fan are you, BJ? Are you one of these guys like, okay, I'm holding out hope every year. And this, you know, doesn't matter. Even if they're like 0-6, you're thinking, well, okay, they'll, you know, they'll eventually get together. Are you one of these guys that wears a bag over your head and says, you know what, man, this is, I'm not, I'm not showing up at the stadium until this team's any good. Well, you know what? I'm a, I'm a true Lions fan through and through. So we don't put a, we don't put the paper bag over our heads. We, <laughs> We can talk about our Lions. We can criticize our coaches and our players, but you can't do that. Right. <laughs> so it, it, it's tough. And, uh, you know, we're watching Stafford right now. He's in the conference finals. So it's tough for us Lions. Why could he do it when he was in Detroit? Now he's doing it with the Rams. But so good. We're going to keep fighting. And uh, one day, one day in my lifetime, we're going to get to the Super Bowl. That's I just want to see that once in my lifetime. You know what I love about Lions fans is that at the beginning of the season, they have a little bit of hope, but they're not really boisterous because they know, okay, we're going to temper our enthusiasm because we know we know it's going to happen. And then the season starts going away, and they go, oh, boy, here we go again. Another heartbreak loss. <laughs> another heartbreak loss. And then Thanksgiving comes. And Thanksgiving morning, they all wake up. They pack 
the Ford Field or whatever, even back in the Silverdome back in the day, and it's like, we got Turkey. This is this is our day. This is our tradition. We're going to win. And then they lose to the Bears or the Packers. Somebody, they go, okay, let's go home and eat. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's it. That, that's what we do every year. Every year. It, it's it's part of uh, when, when you grow up a Lions fan, it's, Part of you, it's part of your, it's on your birth certificate. That's what you do if you're a Lions fan. That's that's what we do. My 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 dad, he gave up on the Lions a long time ago. He said, "Son, I don't I don't want you to grow up with that on you." And I was like, "But dad, I'm I'm from Detroit. We you got to This is what you do." So um, you know, it's, it's part of it. But we still love our Lions, and next year is our year, I promise. There it is. All right, man. Hey, when you were a kid, did you get a chance to go to a lot of Lions games? And what were what were some of the moments? Because there were some decent teams, you know, back in those days. Absolutely. You know, Mel Farr and Lim Barney and, yeah. and all those guys that were there. And then, you know what, and, um, you know, you had, you know, Gary Sanders, you know, was coming through there, you know. So you know Mel, you know like I, I went to school with, uh, with with Mel Farr, his kids. Sorry, so we went to high school together. Okay. So you know Detroit runs through and through with us. You know what I mean? And uh, look, that's just part of the deal. It, it was great going to the to the Silverdome, the Pontiac Silverdome. You go to the Lions games, and uh, in particular, I can remember going to you know on Thanksgiving. So it was always great, you know, indoor facility in Detroit. Are you kidding me? You know, it, it was awesome. Sure. So, uh, you know, th- those were great times. And now they play downtown at, at Ford Field down there. So, uh, you know, it's, it's nothing like, uh, you know, the Lions. The Lions, it, it's, nothing, it's nothing like the Honolulu Blue. You know, we may right? not win, but we're going to fight. That's the, what we say down there. And you're going to look good in those uniforms no matter what. you got to say that with oh, that Honolulu Blue. Oh, we're going to look the best. Yeah. And it's going to be sold out. Come on, like I mean, come on. Okay, we we may not have much to cheer about, but I remember as a kid when another one bites the dust. Yeah. Oh, that was the greatest. Come on, are you kidding me? You know, <laughs> and we look good. We look good doing it. All right, he is Detroit native B.J. Armstrong. Uh, t- before we get uh, the hoop and stuff, let's talk about this weekend, my friend, because I know you're following it. You love football. Uh, let's talk about the AFC and NFC championship game. Let's start with the AFC. I want to take from you uh, Cincinnati and Kansas City. We've seen what these Bengals have done. Uh, they're a surprise team, and they're going against, lo and behold, the Chiefs. They're here again doing their thing. Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes. Who you got and why, my friend? Man, you put me on the spot. You That's put right. Me on the spot. I put you on the spot, man. That's it. You know, I, I think the Bengals are playing great, and I want to pick the Bengals. You know, Joe Burrow and them, they, they, they look good. But you know what? I, I have a hard time going against talent. And Mr. Mahomes, and you know, he's just too talented of a player for me to, to go against. I know what great talent can do, especially in big moments. So I'm going to go with the Chiefs in this. And I'm going to go with them for the reason being that, you know what? Great players make great plays in big moments. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm going to go with the Chiefs. And, and you know, BJ, and you can speak to that. I mean, a guy who has been in NBA finals after finals and just ex- not only expected to be there, but expect to win championships too. And the Chiefs are kind of at that level. And then you look at what Cincinnati you know, hasn't done. 
and you know, 31 years of frustration, you know, not winning a playoff game. They finally get there. Now they win two playoff games, and now they're going to some uncharted territory. What is that like? And you know, what was that like for you? And I know you had a great surrounding cast, but you know, you're going to say an NBA Finals in a deep playoff run for the very first time. You know, well, you know, getting there for the very first time is always, you know, it's a new experience and you really don't know what to expect from this standpoint of, you know, you're just like, well, you think about getting there, you dream about getting there and all of a sudden you're there. And then all of a sudden when you're there, everyone's telling you, well, you don't have any experience and you really shouldn't be there. So I think the big thing is really just kind of focusing in on, your game plan, what is your job that you have to do for your team. But more importantly, I think the big thing is just really focusing in on the task at hand Mm -hmm. and trying to stay as present as you possibly can because there's so many distractions. So for us, it was great. I remember getting to the final conference finals and then getting to the NBA finals, and it just became a surreal moment in many regards. But most importantly, um you know, you just try to stay focused on what it is you have to do to help your team. So um, it was; those are great times, but it's nothing like the first. So and I was very fortunate that we won our very first time there and uh, a few times after that. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, man, we moved to the NFC. Uh, Niners and Rams, third time they're going to meet this year. Niners have had their number. Uh, who are you taking in this one? Man, he's man, pausing. He's tough. taking a deep breath here. Look at this. Man, it's, it's tough, you know. Hey, j- I think it's tough to beat a team. I think it's tough to beat a team three times. But I'm going to go with the Niners, and yeah. the reason being is because I just think the Niners, in between the trenches, I think they play tough. They got a tough team. Yeah. You know their 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 line is is tough. You know, I think they just they just they just play. You know that style of football that just seems like it wins in the playoffs. So. Um, I think it's going to be a tough game, though. I think it's going to. I think the Rams are going to be ready. I think they're going to have a game plan, but I think the Niners are going to grind this thing out and somehow, some way, find a way to come up in a low-scoring affair. You know, something like you know, seventeen, sixteen, something Ooh, like that. Ooh, he's calling a low-scoring under there. Okay, man. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. The physicality of the Niners, yeah, they they got like uh, some guys like Bill Cartwright and Horace Grant, uh, yeah, Dennis yeah, Rodman, right? They got some guys like that. Yeah, it's not pretty. <laughs> it won't be pretty, but they, they'll find a way to get it done. They'll grind it out. There it is. All right, BJ Armstrong joins us. All right, man. Hey, I want to get your your thoughts on this. And, and we talked to to Big Bill yesterday uh, about this. The the blowouts that we're seeing this year in the NBA is crazy, and we saw. Another one last night, 156 points scored by, oh, your former team there. Not just the Bulls, the Charlotte Hornets. 156 points last night, broke a franchise record, 156. Tell me, how do you score 156 in an NBA game? This is not easy, my friend. This isn't the Globetrotters and the Washington Generals. How do you get 156? I mean, we're seeing these scores every night of teams hitting like 130, 134. And Big Bill and I were talking about yesterday. He goes, do you know how tough it is to score like over 120 points in a game? And now, lo and behold, last night we see 156 by Charlotte. What's up, man? Well, yeah, you know, you know that's very interesting. And I was just talking about that earlier uh, on a podcast and – 
you know, like I think they score like 158 points if I, if I yeah. remember correctly. I said 156. I stand crazy. Yeah, yeah, 158. I mean, look, 158. I was off a bucket. points is a lot of points, right? I thought the NBA All-Star game was early this year, you know, when, right. I, first, <laughs> when I first saw that. I was like, did that happen yesterday, right? Yep. Yep, I last think, night. I think there's a couple of things. And I think the, the one thing that's really we have to take into account as we're watching this new era of basketball is the three-point shooting and this space and, and, and pace of the way they play today is going to allow for these guys to score that many points during the course of a regular season game. So to me, I think the pace of the game has really been sped up. And it's going to allow when guys get hot, when guys are making threes like these guys were making threes last night, it's going to allow. I mean, I think they shot like 45 threes or something. They probably made 24, 25 of them. So when you're shooting like that, it's going to allow you to play, you know, and, and score a lot of points. And I think the other thing that's a really, you know, you, you can't discredit now is because of all of the injuries and COVID and all of these things. You 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 really don't have your team because you know your team is being put together, right? I mean, you know, you got guys out for protocol, you got guys out for injury, you got this guy in, this guy out, you know, trade, so forth and so on. And all of a sudden now, you're just kind of playing in a hodgepodge type of system, and there's really no cohesiveness, especially on the defensive end. So I think the combination of COVID. You know, how we put together teams now, the way they play, this is what you have. So at any given moment, you will see teams scoring 150-plus points, which sounds crazy, but I think that's the way the game is played and that's the way the pace is played, and uh, you're going to have your nights like this. Well, listen to these stats from last night's game. So Charlotte wins 158 to 126 over Indiana. The field goal percentage... By Charlotte, 58%, and then the Pacers shoot 48%. You mentioned the threes. Yeah, these guys combine to chuck up 79 threes in this game. (laughs) 79 threes. Now, Indiana hit 10 of them, but Charlotte hit 24, BJ. 24 for 45. Okay, when I say that to you, for a guy that, that played in this league, you know, going back, like I said, in the '90s and all that. Are you kidding me? What was the what was the high point of three point shots a team would would hit back in those days? I mean, what maybe what twelve, maybe fifteen? What would Phil Jackson well, say if he if he did that? Right? What what would Phil Jackson say if you put up twenty five threes? If we listen, if if you put up more than like seven. To ten, let's say you put up ten threes. That was considered jacking, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, it, it just it. When you said that, I was just thinking. I was like, wow. Like you know, you, you know, you say, wish you could have played in this era. I mean, literally, I'm watching guys make ten. They seem like they can make ten and fifteen in one game. They can make one in one player. Um, you know, they're getting up thirty, forty threes in a night. Just seems. Wow, like wow, you know what 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 an opportunity that would have been. That would have been a lot of fun to play in that era. So um but you know what? That's the era we live in. That's that's how the game is played. And um, you know, God bless them. You know, keep getting them up, guys. It's fun to play, but more importantly, the three point shot here is it, it, it's here. I mean, it's here, it's not going anywhere. And if you're gonna win in today's game, you gotta shoot at a certain level. So 
keep chucking them, but you know, more importantly, hopefully you make a few because uh, they're definitely encouraging you to get them up. <laughs> right. So we see a 30-point blowout last night in that game we're talking about, 32-point blowout. Uh, the night before, Boston beat Sacramento 128-75. to That's uh, insane in its own right. What's that, a 43-point uh, victory, if I'm, if I'm doing the math right, or 53-point victory? I mean, yep. insane. San Antonio, the same night, beats Houston by 30, 134-104. to Oh, Golden State beat Dallas one thirty to ninety two. These are all games that just within the last forty eight hours, and we're not even at the All Star break yet. What what is your take on this? Why we're seeing so many blowouts so early on in the season? Well, I I, I think we we just really you know we we just talked about it here with Charlotte. If you make threes and you're shooting at a high clip it really gives you an unfair advantage because it forces the other team to shoot from distance at a high percentage if you're going to even have a chance. Not that you're going to win the game, if you want to have a chance. So the three-point shot really has affected everything, right? I mean, as we're talking about these 30-point wins, we also, you can be down 30 or 35 points like we saw the Clippers the other night. Or was that last night? They were down 30, 35 points or the, what, a couple nights ago, and then they came back to win the game against the Washington Wizards. So the three-point shot has really created, really, a, a, a new outlook. A new outlook when you're up big, you know what? You can still lose, and then when you're down, you know what? You always have a shooter's chance. You always have a puncher's chance now because of the three-point shot. So... You know what? It's really changed the game. And a 20-point lead isn't safe. A 30-point lead isn't safe. So you can be on both sides of the swing depending on how you shoot the ball. So I think the big thing is you realize is that if you're going to be good, you got to shoot at some type of consistent level. And I think if you can shoot 30 to 35% night in and night out or consistently in this league, gives you a, good, a, a better chance than not to win the games. But if you get hot and you're shooting 40% from three – you're almost impossible to beat. And I think that's what, you know, the Golden State Warriors found out some years ago, and I think the rest of the league now is beginning to catch up. B.J. Armstrong uh, joins us, the three-time champion with the Bulls. B.J., I don't know how closely you really, like, followed your stats, and especially, you know, after your career, but uh, how many – what was your highest attempt in a game? I have the answer here. I'm curious if you know – What's the highest three-point attempt that you had? How many How many times? What was the highest output of number of threes that you shot in one game? Do you know? In one game. Uh, in that era, I'm going to say the way we played, because we played in <laughs> yeah. the system. Yeah. I don't know, six, seven, <laughs> maybe? Eight. Eight. Yeah. Three yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. Three times you shot eight. There you go. And uh, yeah, I, I, it was... I mean, that's the way we play, you know, like, you know, when you watch the guys now, like I can't, you know, I can't tell you how many times I remark about when I see guys make one pass and shoot, or they just dribble up to the three-point line and shoot, right? two passes and shoot. For us, you know, every shot was at least six or seven passes right? before you would get up a shot, let alone you shot a three before you let it get inside, you know, Bill Cartwright. You know, he he would go crazy if you shot up a shot with him at least touching the ball at least once. So, right. You right. know, you had to play from the inside out. But 
in all you know, all jokes aside, you know, getting up eight threes, we must have been down significant. <laughs> or, and that or, that would be know, very rare. Season, but yeah, yeah, I mean, but guys now get up eight. They get up eight threes. Clay Thompson gets up eight threes in the first five minutes of a game. I mean, that's like you know, that's just the way the game is played. But you know what? You know, that's. Good for these guys, and uh, I'm happy for them. And uh, like I said, I, I would have loved to have an opportunity at least just once to know what it's like to get up. It's like 10, 12 of those guys on a consistent basis. Right. Well, and one of those times that you put up eight threes, you connected on five of them, my uh, my friend. So pretty pretty, <laughs> pretty good percentage right there. Against Seattle, you nailed five <laughs> yeah. of them. There you go. Well, I, 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 I'm sure, I, I, I'm sure if, you, if, you, if you weren't hot and you shot eight threes, I'm sure Phil Jackson would have had a few uh, – a few, a few choice words for me uh, at the end of the uh, at the end of the bench if I didn't uh, shoot well that night. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I want to talk to you about the the Lakers situation here. This team just really seems to be a mess. I mean, they're at five hundred now after getting a couple victories. They've been below five hundred for majority of the season, but you know the blame game is going on there down in L.A. Blaming Frank Vogel, their head coach. Uh, we see the drama with LeBron James and Russell Westbrook. I mean, when you look at this roster, BJ, uh, LeBron James, Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, Carmelo Anthony, Dwight Howard, Avery Bradley. I mean, I, this looks like the AARP uh, roster here. Uh, it, why, I don't understand how this roster is constructed this way. You got a couple younger guys here, but man, this is this is not the way to win in today's NBA. It doesn't seem like it. To have those kind of guys with those names and all older guys, you know, mid-30s plus here, it, it's not a winning formula right now. And like I said, this team is is at 24 and 24 right now. What's your take on the Lakers? Yeah, well, you know what? When you look at the roster of the Lakers, right, you, you look at the names, they have some big names, right? Clearly you have LeBron James, you have Anthony Davis, you have Russell Westbrook, you have Carmelo Anthony. And you look at those names, and you go, okay, they have, they have, you know, clearly depth. They have guys who are experienced. They have championship caliber pedigrees. They have all the things you're looking for. And in L.A., that sells. However, you know what? When you start building in roster construction, there's a certain level of effort and energy that's necessary that you, that's going to allow you to get through this 82-game schedule. And the Lakers have a team where if they can get through the season and they can get through the season healthy and get themselves in a playoff position, I think this roster is pretty good, possibly in the playoffs, when the game slows down a little bit. And that's a big, that's a big if because someone forgot to tell them they have to get there first. <laughs> okay. <Right. laughs> So you you just mentioned these guys are older. You know what? I give LeBron James a pass. What he's doing at his age, 37, listen, give me what you got. And to watch what he's doing, you know what? LeBron is LeBron. But the other guys, Anthony Davis, I expect more from him. And he's had some injuries. He's had some untimely injuries. And you would hope that if he could stay healthy, I think – he is a big part of why they're only a 500 team is because they're going to need Anthony Davis to play the game at a very high level. And then the other guys, I think, will fall into place. I think Russell will settle down, provided that Anthony Davis can be the best player. Mm. So I think this team right now is missing 
their best player, which is Anthony Davis. I think LeBron James is still an elite player. Maybe he can't do it night in and night out like he once did um, there in Cleveland and other places. But I still think he's playing the game at a high clip, even at his age today. But I don't think he's good enough to just carry a team on his back and win consistently like he once could, like he once did earlier in his career. What is the story for a lot of people that may not be following the NBA that closely right now? What is the story for you in this league right now, what what we're seeing, whether it's a team, whether it's a player, whether it's a situation? What's piquing your interest? Well, the thing that's been piquing my interest this year has been the consistent play of the Phoenix Suns. In particular, you know, this guy, Chris Paul, has had a Hall of Fame career, no doubt about it. But more than any other year, I've been more and more impressed with his ability to do the following. His leadership has always been impeccable, but he's really mastered the art of controlling the game without having to score 25, 30 points consistently night in and night out. What he's done this year, I've been just thoroughly impressed because the Phoenix Suns, they are an improved team from just a year ago. You know, Devin Booker has come back a better player. Chris Paul, as I just mentioned, has come back a better player. You know, Mikhail Bridges, a better player. Their team is better than they were a year ago, and it's all because Chris Paul has figured out how to control the game. He's a master at dictating the game, and now he's learned how to be that much better and that more effective as a player without having to score. And that's an art in and of itself. And, yeah, we're, we're not really talking about what he's doing and how it's affecting winning. But the Phoenix Suns right now, they are the best team in the league. And they've been the best team in the league literally since day one. And right now, I'm picking them to win the championship just from the fact that Chris Paul now has really elevated his game. And he's well into his 30s as well. So for him to be playing at this level, at this stage of his career, speaks volume about him. But more importantly, what he's done this year, I really admire it. I've been a big fan of his for many years, but even more so now because what he's doing is very difficult, and it's really he's playing with a sense of desperation that I'm going, you know, like, good for him because right now the clock is ticking and he's meeting the challenge. And right now, if you said who's going to win the championship today, I would pick the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, and, you know, the Warriors were getting a lot of love earlier on. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people were surprised – because uh, Clay Thompson wasn't back, you know, at the beginning of the season, and the Warriors put together that amazing run, and now they're thirty-five and thirteen, which is phenomenal. But yeah, they're looking up at the Phoenix Suns, who are thirty-eight and nine, and then there are other teams out in the Western Conference that are putting together just as uh, good as seasons. You know, you look at the Grizzlies. I mean, the Grizzlies got thirty-three victories, and the Jazz are there, and and, and Dallas is playing pretty well as well too. I mean, you know, Denver's really not performing where I think a lot of people would uh, think, but. I mean, yeah, you look at the, the Clippers and the Lakers right now. I mean, they're really on the outside looking in, you know, at the playoffs because of the stellar play of those teams we just mentioned. Yeah, how about the Memphis Grizzlies? I mean, 33-17, and 17, yeah. John Morant has put his name firmly in the MVP conversation this year. They've been playing terrific basketball. You know, uh, you know, it, it's, you know, you start talking about Dallas. Dallas is, you know, they're about – seven to eight games, over 500. So there's a lot of basketball left to be played. 
But I'm gonna tell you what, the Memphis Grizzlies more than any other team, I think they are they've been the surprise, especially in the Western Conference. I don't think anyone had them, you know, playing this well this you know late in the season as we're approaching almost you know All Star Weekend here, and 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 this guy John Morant, I mean, what more can you say? I mean, he's must see TV. He's exciting. He had another 40 point effort last night, and right now I don't think anyone wants to see them or especially John Morant, because uh, at any given moment, this guy can explode for 40, 50 points. Seems like on a whim, he's just, you know, just getting started in his career, and he's taking the league by storm. All right. And then uh, your former team, the Bulls, are, are doing a number over in the East right now. They're 30 and 17. How about our bullies? How about our bullies? Look at that. You know, that, that's... You know, you got Miami and Chicago right there at the top of the East, so that's good. And you know, when we uh, we get you back on, you know, next week, let's let's talk about the, those bullies because that is a little bit of a surprise. All yeah, right, for sure, brother. For sure. Great, great stuff. Uh, great talking with you, and uh, we got you back in the mix in the fold. BJ Armstrong, never forgotten, my man. You remember that? Never All ever right. forgotten. Appreciate it. Oh, appreciate it. Hey, and we're thanks t- again, and uh, I'll talk to you next week. Yeah, we're trying to get you out here to Vegas, man. We got we got. Got to got to show you the town here a little bit and, and get you in anytime, studio. Anytime, so th- th- it's an open invitation, my man. So you let me know when you're coming and, and we'll hook it up. All right, we'll do. Take care, brother. Appreciate you. Yep. There he is, BJ Armstrong, the three-time champ with the Chicago Bulls. Love it having that Bulls connection. The big seven-footer, Big Bill Cartwright, BJ Armstrong, Craig Hodges joins us, and uh, yeah, we're talking about maybe getting Will Purdue on as well. And and Will still doing a lot of broadcasts with the Chicago Bulls. So I know. We just we always get in our Chicago in, whether it's any sport or food. That's always prevalent, no question about it. All right, Tim Neverett's going to join us when we come back and we talk a little Major League Baseball. Will we have a season? Will it get underway on time? We'll talk about that next. I do exactly what I want to do. It's, it's the, the Dr. T.C. Martin. You say I'm insane? I say thank you very much. The doctor is now in. All right, don't forget, tomorrow, come join us. See the show live at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas, 2 to 4 p.m., our best bet segment in full effect. Jay Schrader will be joining us tomorrow, the former quarterback. See if he'll be donning his Super Bowl ring again. He he loves busting out the bling. Jay Schrader, Marco D'Angelo from Wager Talk tomorrow. Brian Salmon, our very good friend, the sports director over at News 3. He's going to... Come on down tomorrow as well, too. Of course, the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas inside the sportsbook, powered by William Hill. Come on by, say hello, and get down as we get ready for the AFC and NFC Championship games this week. And, of course, the food options. The food options at the Cosmopolitan. Don't get me going with that because, you know, I can go for 20 straight minutes with that. That's it. Numchuck, no, you're... I, you have the open invitation, Numchuck. You can come by anytime you want on a Friday. That's it. You get someone else to fill in over here. Okay. If you're going to complain about the food, then do something about it. Come on down. I'll take care of you. Plain and simple. The Cosmopolitan Las Vegas, great food options. Come check it out. Great entertainment at the Chelsea. And, of course, you can see the show live each and every Friday right there. All right. It's, you know, the sun is out. 60 degrees today. I'm feeling like, you know, I, I want to get out the glove. want to get out the bat. You know, is it time for pitchers and catchers to report yet to spring training? Pretty soon. It's coming. And hopefully we will have a baseball season. Let's talk to our very good friend who does the radio and the TV broadcasting, uh, does both sides. That's how versatile my man Tim Neverett is. Tim, what's going on? 
Hey, TC, good to talk to you. It's, uh, it's a beautiful baseball-like day here in Southern California, <laughs> but we're all, uh, we're all waiting like everybody else. We know the minor league season is going to start on time, but uh, right. hopefully the major league season will too. Right. Is. Tim, a uh, long-storied broadcasting career, uh, spent time not only you know with the Dodgers currently right now, but formerly with the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Boston Red Sox. Uh, he's even doing college basketball on FS1. And, of course, uh, Tim's got plenty of Las Vegas ties, and we know so many of our listeners remember Tim. I mean, you've come a long way, my friend, uh, from the SEN Sports and Entertainment Network. <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> I, I, I try to block that time out. <laughs> I know, <laughs> but yeah, no, you're right. I mean, there, there were a lot of uh, a lot of interesting times in Vegas, and you know, now my sons are finding out because all three of my boys live there and work there, and they're right. They're, they're finding out what Vegas is all about, and and uh, they're loving it right now. And they should, they should. It's a great city, and it's just been over the years, just been growing and getting even greater. You know, I want to talk a little bit about your time, you know, with the Dodgers. Uh, you know, anytime a broadcaster gets a gig with the Los Angeles Dodgers, I mean, that is like bucket list, creme de la creme. And when you're talking about following guys like Vin Scully and you're currently working with Charlie Steiner, Rick Monday has been there forever. I mean, this is like a Hall of Fame list and an all-star cast there, uh, you know, pretty much still in place there, you know, with, with the Dodgers. Uh, talk a little bit about... You know, your time here with the Dodgers, Tim, and really the best part of your job has got to be going to the iconic Dodger Stadium, just rolling up to Chavez Ravine every day. I mean, how cool is that? It's uh, pretty fortunate, really. I mean, it's great to be able to do that. And when you're working, you got to work and you got to sort of not get enamored with everything. But yeah, there are times right. when I'm, I look at myself and say, boy, I'm just so fortunate to be here and around these people. Uh, you know, like on on the TV side, I get to work with you know Oral Hershiser, right? right. And, uh, you know, he's great, and you may see him around Las Vegas if you look closely enough. Um, but uh, you know, Nomar Garcia Parra as well, and people like that. I mean, it's just uh, it's it's nonstop, and uh, in terms of a lot of the Dodger greats and a lot of the baseball greats that you get to be around. I mean, one of the guys that doesn't get talked about enough is in the Hall of Fame, and that's Jaime Harin, who's going to have his final year right. as the Dodger Spanish broadcaster. And he has been doing the Dodger games since they came to Los Angeles in the late 50s. So uh, he is a treasure uh, and I consider myself lucky every day that I get to go to work and sit in the booth next to him. Yeah, and uh, I'm always amazed too when I'm like you know going through the dial, and listening to the the Dodger broadcast because it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it just seems that there are more dedicated Dodger broadcasters, whether it's radio, TV, than, than anywhere else. It's like you guys have like a, a laundry list of a lineup where most teams it's just like two or three guys, and they're sharing both you know, radio and, and TV duty sometimes. Yeah, we're lucky. We have a whole roster. <laughs> you do. You and do. It's, it's good, though. And, and, like, you know, like the way it works, uh, it's kind of a, a rotation, if you will. Um, you know, I'll, I'll do probably 30 or so games on television uh, when Joe Davis goes over to do his Fox assignments, whether it be baseball or football or whatnot. So I'll, I'll do those dates, and then other dates I'll, I'll anchor in the studio pregame, postgame, and then the bulk of the time I'll uh, I'll do radio. So um, the nights that Charlie does radio, I don't, and then when he's off, which is pretty often, uh, I'll do the radio, and, and Rick Monday's there all the time. Mm. So it, it's really uh, it's really a great setup. It's uh, 
something that I really enjoyed. Uh, you know, when I went to Boston, uh, the setup wasn't the same. Um, it wasn't what I was really accustomed to. And, and you know, going back to uh, going to L.A., it was more like I had in Pittsburgh in terms of, you know, rotating around doing both mediums. And it was really like it was for me for a while with uh, the old Las Vegas Stars. Right. They, and, and when they became the 51s, um, before they became the Aviators, uh, we actually, I think one year, we did 24 games on TV. I mean, we did, we actually did a lot of book radio and TV at the AAA level in Vegas years ago, and we had, we had a lineup too back then in Vegas. We had the Hall of Famer Dick Williams, the late Dick Williams. Right. You know, uh, Marty Barrett was on our broadcast. So Jerry Royce, uh, you know, so we had a pretty good lineup in the, at the AAA level in Vegas too. That's it. Tim Nevert uh, joins us. A long career on the broadcasting side, of course. You know, Vegas ties here, like he's mentioning, and now currently with the uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. You know, Tim, when you look at that situation, you go from Boston to Los Angeles. I mean, again, two iconic franchises, two iconic uh, uh, ballparks. And, you know, every time you're talking about Wrigley Field or Fenway Park, I guess you throw Dodger Stadium in there as well, too. I, I don't know if Dodger Stadium, you know, it seems like it's maybe been renovated a little bit more from a broadcasting side. What were the facilities like there at Fenway when you were there? Were, were they spacious or were they, they kind of uh, confined there? Not nearly as confined as Wrigley Field. I'll yeah, tell you that. right. That's the that's the toughest one right there. To, to you know, believe me, I'm not complaining, but I'm just saying. Yeah. If you're asking me who's got the smallest booths and the <laughs> the ones with the least amount of room, that those are the ones. Mm. But uh, no, Fenway had plenty of room. We had we had big booths. They were deep. You know, they were. Uh, I, I think uh, you know from the marketing side, there were a lot of sponsors that would come in during the course of the games and stand up on the upper level behind us. Mm. You know, because they redid that. A uh, number of years ago, they redid the whole uh, upper level there and added the suites and, and and did brand new broadcast booths and everything else. So they're, they're pretty nice at Fenway. They, they do a good job there. Um, you know, Dodger Stadium, they haven't, they haven't changed, but they're, they're not the most spacious, but they're not the smallest either. And they're, when you walk in and you say to yourself, well, who sat here before me? Uh, it, it's a pretty special place to be, for sure. You know, when you are going back and forth and you you know have a radio assignment one day and a television assignment you know, another day, and I know there are some guys that actually will do both in, in one game, uh, how does your approach differ at, at all? Obviously, radio, theater of the mind, you have to paint the picture, and we know Vin Scully would do you know, the simulcast, you know, with both. But I know a lot of guys with TV, they will actually, you know, not re- really call pitch by pitch like you would with radio. Mm-hmm. How do you approach that? Yeah, you have to, on television, you have to know when to hit the brakes. And on on radio, you have to know when to hit the gas. Uh, and, and it's much more descriptive on radio. It's a different call altogether. Uh, we do simulcasts also during spring training. We'll do a, a number of them. And so that you find the balancing act in between. And um, sometimes you get reminded, give the score a little more often for the radio listeners or whatever. But uh, there, there's a definite balance you have to find with the, with the simulcasts. Uh, once the regular season starts, we don't simulcast at all. But uh, it's a different medium altogether from TV. And, you know, your day is different in terms of the time that you do things. Uh, from when you eat dinner to when you prepare, when you do your opens, when you have your production meetings, and, and all the things are, are a lot different uh, on television. And the call is just different because, yeah, you're right. You can let the pictures and the audio do the talking for you. 
uh, on a lot of occasions. You can talk through pitches. You can let your analysts talk through pitches. Sometimes you don't have to say anything. You can let a couple of pitches go. Uh, we're on radio. You really have to be, you know, here's the pitch. It's fouled off. Um, we're on TV. If, there's a, if you're making a point and there's a pitch and the guy hits a foul ball behind, you know, to the screen, you can let it go. You don't have to say it uh, because your audience can see it. And, uh, you know, oftentimes when there's a big play or a home run uh, or something like that, usually when the guy touches second base, you want to lay out and let the, let the pictures do the work for you as the, as the cameras bring him home. So it, it's a different medium altogether, and I'm fortunate that I was able to learn both of them because I do know there are some guys in our business that have trouble going from one to the other depending on which one they learned on first. So the product on the field uh, with the Dodgers – how much is that going to change uh, this year? And I look at the pitching rotation. You know, of course, Clayton Kershaw been there forever. The stalwart there, and, and of course, you know, there's talk about you know him not returning. He had Max Scherzer, you know, on a on a short term uh, you know deal, you know, coming over from Washington last year. I know there's Walker Bueller, uh, but what's the rest of this rotation going to look like, Tim? Because when I look at the Dodgers. I look at, okay, they've still got plenty of bats, but from the pitching side, this could be a transition year. Well, it could be, but we'll see. We don't know. We can't even begin to speculate until the lockout ends and, right. and the, front, the front offices can do things. They can make free agent signings or they can make trades. And uh, I think that the Dodger rotation won't even be what the Dodger rotation will be in the end of July. I mean, they'll probably make some moves if they have to, like they did last year. Uh, it was too bad Max Scherzer left, but I, you know, he's got, you know, 41 million reasons why he left. <laughs> right. Uh, the Mets, the Mets made him the, the biggest offer and made it impossible for him to say no. So I get that. That's part of the business. Uh, Walker Bueller will be back. Um, you know, Tony Gonsolin will be there. Uh, sometime in June, we should get Dustin May back from Tommy John surgery. And this is the, this is a kid who has just lights out stuff. Uh, unfortunately, he had Tommy John. Um, missed all of last year, but he'll be back, and I think he'll be uh, he'll he'll be a fixture in the rotation at some point. We don't know about Kershaw yet. Uh, I think it will be very shortly after the lockout ends, um, whenever that is, that we'll find out whether or not he'll stay a Dodger. Uh, I would think that he has an understanding of the legacy of baseball and where he fits in it, and uh, you know he he might be a guy who because of legacy and history and his history he, he might want to finish as a dodger i can't speak for him i don't know there's been talk that he'd like to pitch for the rangers because it's a half hour from his house right <laughs> so so I, I, we don't know yet um but i think that the front office that they have led by uh, andrew friedman president of baseball ops they'll they'll do something uh we've got some young prospects too that are that are on the way i think that are pretty good Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Tony Gonsolin is another guy that can be in the rotation right now. So there's there are a lot of questions right now. I think there's more questions than answers. But as time goes on, the Dodgers have always found a way to to fill in those blanks. You know, seeing Kershaw up close and personal, and calling his you know his starts and everything. What are your thoughts on on Clayton Kershaw? Uh, does he still have enough left in the tank to to give any team an, another year or two? I think so, yeah. Um, it, it's interesting to see what he's been able to do with his slider that he added a few years ago because he was pretty much fastball, curveball for a long time, and both pitches were very, very good. Uh, still are. Uh, but adding the slider has been a really big weapon for him, and I think that's going to lengthen his career. 
So we'll see what happens with him. I hope he stays a Dodger. I enjoy watching him pitch. Uh, that signature, you know, stretch that he has, and then that looping curveball that's just devastating to a lot of hitters. Um, you know, it's like what they call a nose-to-toes curveball. Mm-hmm. And I think that with, uh, if he does come back, he'll, he'll obviously help. He has had some injury issues in recent years, but, uh, you know, you, you never know. I mean, a guy can – anybody can get hurt. That's the nature of professional sports. But I do think that he would help the Dodgers if he comes back. And, uh, again, we'll see what the front office decides to do. I'm sure that they have had many conversations about their plans and what they'd like to do. And as soon as they get the word go, they're going to get right back to work. Yeah, Mookie Betts, uh, obviously – highest paid players in, in Major League Baseball. Uh, you pencil this guy in, basically the top of the order, night in and night out. You got a chance to see him in Boston as well, too. Talk a little bit about Mookie Betts and, and what's it like to to see this guy on a daily basis. Uh, best base runner in baseball. Mm-hmm. Best base runner I might have ever seen. He he is incredible on the bases. That's something that may go under the radar for people that watch him because they just want to see him hit and make diving catches. But he also has a, you know, a five-star arm as well. I've seen him throw guys out from the right field corner at third base. I've seen him do it multiple times. He is a spectacular athlete, a really great person, uh, which makes him very, very easy to root for. Uh, do not be surprised if you see him play a little bit of second base this year. He loves playing second base. He played a little bit there last year. And uh, if they have to get another outfield bat in the lineup some night, Depending on who's pitching, uh, I, I don't think Dave Roberts is shy about putting Mookie at, th- at second base. That's the position he came up in the minor leagues as. He, he didn't really play outfield very much until he advanced in the minor leagues. Uh, got the triple A, I think. Um, but I, I think that Mookie Betts is one of the most entertaining players to watch uh, in, in the entire sport, without question. Tim Neverett uh, joins us, so the voice of the Dodgers on the TV and the radio side. Talk a little Dodgers, talk a little Major League Baseball. Uh, speaking of Dodgers, uh, we talked to uh, my good friend Steve Sachs yesterday, and uh, he does a great job with the MLB Network Radio. And he was saying, we were talking to him about the lockout. He's a firm believer. He says, you know what, these guys are close to getting things done here. He thinks that spring training is actually going to start on time. We're going to not only have a full Major League Baseball season, but also a full uh, spring training season as well, too. Curious, Tim, from your perspective, of course, you know, we can't get into the particulars or anything, but just what does your gut tell you as far as spring training and starting on time? Well, I hope Saxy's right, first of all. <laughs> so that, Secondly, uh, think about this. Pitchers and catchers are due to report in a little more than two weeks. So I don't know if they can get enough done in two weeks when they're when they're only meeting for an hour a day, Monday and Tuesday. Right. You know. So I, I hope that he's right. I hope that uh, they meet and they come up with a framework of a deal and they lift the lockout and we're all ready to go. But you know, our first game is February 26th against the Cubs um, in spring training down in Arizona. So. Uh, will we be ready for that? I don't know. When you know the pitchers and catchers are supposed to report on the 16th of February, will we be ready for that? I don't know. I hope so, and I hope that these that the two sides can get it done because it wasn't very long ago. It was only two seasons ago where the players played for 33 percent of their salaries, and the owners lost a lot of money, and they don't want to go through any losses again. You know, we've seen. 
the lockout before Major League Baseball, and we talked to a lot of former players, I'm sure you have as well, too, and they said it was just a terrible time when you go back to that 94 season. I mean, you've been around long enough. Uh, it's just it's terrible that we even have to have these type of conversations uh, about this again, but lo and behold, here we go again with Major League Baseball, and it took so long for fans to get back to the park after you know the last time we went through this lockout. What are your thoughts about about this happening, potentially happening again, and what do you think will happen from a fan's perspective? Well, regardless of, of whose side people take in this, or if they take nobody's side, whether the owner or the players, it doesn't matter. I, I just, you know, they, attorneys tend to use time as leverage, meaning they don't do anything for a while to force, you, force your hand. That's a, an attorney trick. Any attorney will tell you that. But I just wish that they could have gotten this done behind closed doors months ago. And they probably could have. But because they push it up against spring training, the owners risk losing revenue, and they push it up against the regular season, and the owners risk losing revenue. So the players' union, um, you know, they and the owners to to an extent, they both use time leverage tactics. And I just wish they'd have got this all done behind closed doors, and we never have to talk about it or, or even think about it. But there's a lot of time in the calendar that was wasted mm-hmm. on both sides. Final thing for you, Tim. Aside from the lockout. Give me your thoughts on the current state of the game in Major League Baseball right now. Do you think MLB is in a good spot? I mean, the way the game's played is great. I do think we're going to see some changes this year as a result of whatever the new CBA is. But I do think we've seen the last of pitchers hitting. I think uh, that'll probably start this year. That's my guess, is that uh, the National League will have a DH. Love it or hate it. Uh, I'm not a fan in the National League of it, but... We all have to kind of grow with the game. You know, you've got to adjust with it. And I think it's in a good place. I, I, I do. I think that they've got an eye on the future. I know people are scared when they hear robo-umps coming to AAA to experiment. I, I get that. Uh, you know, people talk about, you know, how do the they, – they want to talk about, you know, analytics and is there too much. And You know, I get that. But you have to grow with the sport. It's a science, actually. I mean, it really is a science when it comes to baseball, not only mathematically, but – but physically, and uh, the players today are in better condition than they've ever been in, and the game's exciting. The venues are great. Um, you know, I just think that uh, it's in a good place. It's going to be in a good place. I do think a lot of baseball fans are afraid of change, and I think that if they just give it a chance, uh, you know, the changes that are coming are probably going to enhance the game. Mm-hmm. Nothing like spending summers at the ballpark. Day games, night games, doesn't matter, and for me, I mean, that's those are my vacations. When I take my two, three weeks off in the summertime, I'm at ballparks. And don't take that away from me. Don't take it away. <laughs> nope. I hope, to, I hope they don't because it's your vacation, but it's my job. Exactly. So I, I understand. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, too funny. All right. And you can catch Tim Neverett uh, catching, uh, doing some uh, college basketball as well, too. FS1, you got you got games this weekend, right? Tomorrow night? Yeah, it's Tomorrow night, uh, Boise State, they're really good. They've won 13 straight. Yeah. They'll be going to Fresno State. Uh, Richie Schuler will be on that one with me. Uh, tomorrow night, it's going to be an 8 o'clock Pacific time start. So that'll be uh, that game. And then got a big one in the Mountain West on Monday uh, in Wyoming, Colorado State and Wyoming, the border war. That'll be a, a great game at the Arena Auditorium. Uh, I'll be with Jeff Settles for that one. And uh, that's also on FS1. That'll be, I think, 5 p.m. It's an 8 p.m. Eastern time, primetime game. And we know how much you love going to Laramie. 
Well, in the winter, you know, I could take it or leave it in the winter, but it is nice. I've been up there in the summer. I've been there in the spring. I've been there in the fall. It's beautiful. But when there's the white stuff on the ground and the wind's howling, I'm not the biggest fan. But uh, I did check the weather, and I think we're going to be in the clear for this Sunday and Monday when I'm going to be up there. Good deal. All right, my friend. It'll be great to see you when you get uh, back here to Vegas as well, too. And uh, we know that uh, we, we both share the love for the Cosmopolitan, so hopefully we'll see you and we'll get you out on the show uh, for a Friday show at the Cosmo. Love the Cosmo, and I know where Secret Pizza is, yeah. so that's a, that's a good thing. Out <laughs> of man. Hey, quiet, Tim. Don't tell anybody that. Shh. Quiet, please. Well, apparently about. some NFL players couldn't find it, right? This is true. This is true. A while back, I was like, come on, guys, just go up the escalator and hey. take a slight, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to find. Exactly. But, you know, the people the Cosmopolitan, they only care for the football players to find the blackjack table and the craps tables. That's where they that's, want them going. That's true. And there's plenty of that. No, it's, it's actually, for, you know, for my wife and I, it's, it's our favorite hotel and in, in Vegas, without question. There you go. All right, my friend, great talking with you, and uh, we look forward to seeing you real soon. All right, thanks, TC. We'll see you later. You got it, brother. There he is, Tim Neverett. Does a great job on the Major League Baseball side, the basketball side as well, too. Dodgers, that's right, calling on the TV side and the radio side. All right, when we come uh, back tomorrow, Cosmopolitan, that's where we're going to be, right? <laughs> Can hardly wait for that. Jay Schrader will be joining us. Like I said, Marco D'Angelo, B. Sal, Brian Salmon. want to thank B.J. Armstrong for joining us today, as well as Tim Neverett. You miss any part of the show, you know where to go. Go to the website at tcmartinshow.com and go check out our segment from yesterday with uh, Rob Van Dam, our NWC reunion show. A lot of people talking about that. Go check it out uh, anytime, anywhere. All right, we reconvene tomorrow. Two o'clock at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Have yourself a great rest of your Thursday.